three on the way. Good! And Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah! Yeah! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, your lifelong Cavs fan host at Fear the Fro Pod on Twitter. And yes, we're talking Cavs. Bucks game coming up. This is going to be a big stretch for the Cleveland Cavaliers as we try to shake off a four-game losing streak. Now, the West Coast, it was ugly. The fourth quarter's specifically ugly. Darius Garland's play, rough. Up until this last game against the Timberwolves because for as bad as Darius Garland shot during the first three games of this road trip, we came back home, got the Timberwolves on Sunday, and while it came with a loss, it also came with a historical performance from Darius Garland. Let's take a moment to celebrate the man, shall we? Because coming into the game, Darius Garland was off to a start, which, at least based on expectations, would have been considered fairly bad. 16 points a game, 8 assists. And those numbers, as I said on previous podcasts, those are fine if you're getting a bunch of scoring and contributions from other parts of the team. But by and large, They're underwhelming based on what our expectations are of the all-star point guard. But that was mostly due to just largely inefficient shooting from Darius Garland. 35% from the floor, 31% from three. Far below what we've come to expect from him. And more troubling, some damning misses at the free throw line late in the game. But my, how things have flipped. Because just based on one game that took place Sunday... Darius Garland's season averages are now 21 points a game, 8 assists, shooting 41% from 3, and nearly 40% from the field. That is not what you want to see. You want his overall efficiency to get better. But certainly, the game that he strung together against the Minnesota Timberwolves, 51 points, 27 of which were in the fourth quarter, is an all-timer. And you may recall, as Cavs fans, several games which we have bore witness to in terms of individual great performances in a quarter. The first one, the highest stakes one, LeBron James versus the Detroit Pistons, where he scored 25 straight points, 29 of the last 30, and led the Cavs to a victory in Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals. And that, of course, is on its own echelon. But below that would be Kevin Love in 2016 against the Portland Trailblazers, where he came out of the tip blazing. Eight three-pointers in the first quarter. Only hit 10 on the game, but that 34 points set the tone for a great game and, of course, a win. And then, just below that, Darius Garland. 51 points. Six assists. 10 of 15 from three-point land. And if there is a blemish, 9 for 13 from the line. And the loss. Of course, that's the big blemish. That's why I would put this third amongst incredible quarter explosions. But just for some more historical context, where does 51 points sit in Cavs history? Well, the Cavs have had 50-point games 13 times. Nine of those have come from LeBron James, with the last one being in 2017 when he scored 57 points against the Washington Wizards. The other players in Cavalier history who have scored 50 points, Kyrie Irving did it twice, both in 2015. He scored 57 against the Spurs. 
and he scored 55 against the Trailblazers. Walt Wesley, in 1971, is the only player before the year 2000 to score 50 points, and he did it with 50 points exactly. 12 rebounds. No three-pointers, because they didn't exist back then. He won 20 of 34 from the floor, 10 of 14 from the foul line, and that led him to an exact 50 over his previous team. Made all the more impressive by the fact that Walt Wesley, his career averages were just 9 points, 6 rebounds. So that truly is a complete outlier. At least Braun, Kyrie, Darius, they're all all all-star NBA players. Year in and year out. Well, not year in and year out yet. For Darius, hopefully it will be. For Kyrie, it probably won't be. But that's not due to talent. That's just due to the what is possibly the most stubborn player in the history of basketball. Anyway, moving on. So Darius Garland in elite company, something that has not happened here in over five years. And unfortunately, it came in a loss. Now let's get to that point. Because beyond all the accolades, there were some things to take from that game. The first, of course, being that the Cavs were playing with a much different looking roster. Gone was the fro. Gone was Donovan Mitchell. And into the starting lineup was a man who previously had played 19 minutes over the course of the whole season. That, of course, being Lamar Stevens, who is the second player who deserves to be discussed in the aftermath of this Timberwolves game because Lamar Stevens slid in seamlessly. 15 points, six boards. Now, I said it on Twitter. Isaac Okoro, collectively, over the course of the whole season leading to that game, had scored 26 points and 16 rebounds in just one game. Lamar Stevens scored nearly half as many points as Okoro had contributed year to date. I'm not trying to pit the two against one another, but they're the natural comparison to fill these minutes as we are without Dean Wade, who amongst Osman and Levert and Stevens and Okoro will fill those wing minutes. Levert, his spot is stabilized. He competes incredibly hard on defense. He creates for other people and his scoring It's not where you want it to be in the early season, barring that 141-point explosion, but I think it's safe to say he is cemented in the rotation. Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade, though, have played their way into a position where they're probably option 1B and 1C. And, And I say that, of course. And perhaps that's an overreaction to one game from Stevens. It's fair if you think I'm overreacting to one Stevens game. Certainly, that's a possibility. But to come in cold, with little to no minutes alongside these guys, and immediately look that good. And I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about assertive, aggressive play. Lamar Stevens was a big part of what stopped Carl Anthony Towns in the first half. His third quarter, nothing can be said there. Carl Anthony Towns lit up everyone we threw at him, whether it was Stevens, whether it was Mobley, whether it was Lopez. But I thought the best defensive matchup against Carl Anthony Towns, if there was such a thing, the other night, was the work Lamar Stevens was doing. Osman is again in a frustrating situation of incredible to start the year, scoring spark plug in the first half of these games to now dropping off a cliff somewhat. And some of that can be attributed to minutes. But Osman was giving us 12 points a game in November. It's been nearly cut in half this month, averaging less than seven points a game. And it's not that his shooting has regressed. What has made him less playable, he's actually shooting better from three-point land. This month, but his attempts are way down, and most of that is attributable to minutes. And why has he been losing minutes? Because he is defensively just objectively bad, the worst wing amongst them. For all the criticisms of Okoro, 
What he lacks in offense, it's a bizarro situation to Osman. Osman is objectively bad at defense, and it's that frustrating inconsistency where you just want these guys who are filling this fifth starter role or fifth guy in the rotation to provide serviceable defense and serviceable offense. I don't need you scoring 20 points a game. I didn't even need to see Steven score 15. But for him to be opportunistic, that's exactly what you need. That's what we need from Levert. Everyone knows what Levert can be capable of if he wants to ball stop and get his own offense. But we haven't needed that. And fortunately, he hasn't forced it because his efficiency from inside has been terrible so far this year. But the reason we're not noticing it as much, why it doesn't seem like such a blight on this team, is because he hasn't forced looks. He's found ways to contribute in the ways that we need him to. And unfortunately for those wings, all we need, contribution-wise, we don't need elite scoring. We need just efficient scoring with good defense. And Osman is finding his minutes trimmed largely because of that. Now, Okoro wasn't horrible against the Timberwolves, but Stevens was good enough that I hope we decide to give him a longer look, at least in the short term. because. In terms of, and this isn't based on numbers, I'm not going to cite any numbers here. I'm just going to cite eyeball test comfortability. Levert, Wade, Stevens. Those are the three for me that I feel like, okay, you might not get excellence, but you have a better shot at consistency. Osman is a peaks and valley guy. And Okoro, he hit his first three of the season against the Timberwolves. It finally happened. So that's good. Got that lid off the rim. But the criticism of Okoro is always just that he looks scared out there. He passes up open jump shot looks. He looks overwhelmed when he drives into traffic. He's too small despite his strength. And he's not going to get whistles. Nobody respects him in the officiating community. That is the sad reality. As much as we want to build him up to be this plus defender, it's not translating to the court right now. And there's one thing I'll say about Steven's entry into the rotation. First quarter against the Timberwolves. Cuts baseline. The driver finds him, kicks it to him, and Gobert made the business decision of getting out of the way, in part because Stevens did not hesitate. He immediately went up. And that's the type of decisiveness I think all of us want to see out of a Coro. It's not missing shots. Missing shots alone won't turn people against you. If that was the case, we would have saw a lot more hate on Darius Garland. And while there were some in Cavs Twitter who were fairly vocal of their criticisms, it was somewhat warranted. He had an extremely rough stretch in a series of games where we dropped all of them. Now, he seems to have shaken that off. You don't know what you're going to get night to night when Mitchell's back, but we've seen tiny samples of the two of them excelling together alongside each other. The Lakers' first half is the most notable point. Everybody stunk. We got nothing from the front court. Now, I'm not saying that is hyperbole. I mean, there was zero points, 0 for 6 from the floor, from Mobley and Jared Allen, But between Garland and Mitchell, that kept us in the game, and they won that game going away. Those are the glimpses that make you think what lies ahead is super promising. Of the nine guys who have hit eight or more three-pointers in a single game this season, four of them have been performances from our Cleveland Cavaliers. Garland, Love, and Mitchell twice. And you have Struess, you have Curry, you have Julius Randle. You have Desmond Bain, who is now down with an injury, and you have Tyrese Maxey with Philly. Incredible company, and it's certainly been something that has lifted the Cavs overall at the start of this season when it was a potential pain point after a trade of a lot of outside shooting in Markkanen and Ochai Abaji and Sexton. Now, it should be noted that the Jazz 
have hit the most three-pointers in the NBA this season. They've made 221. That's good for first in the league. The Cavs, middle of the pack, 170. But I'll take it. Shooting 40% from three is good for second place in the league behind just the Denver Nuggets. But the other things we can take away from this Timberwolves game, Carl Anthony Towns is basically impossible to cover one-on-one. The third quarter he had where he didn't miss a shot was really, it felt like that's the point where the Cavs should have been closing the lead. It did not feel like it should have taken the Cavs until the fourth quarter to start making inroads into what was a massive first half hole that they dug themselves. But they seemed to be pacing it out where they were matching the Cavs bucket for bucket in the third quarter. And that is largely due to Carl Anthony Towns. The first half was a story of D'Angelo Russell. 15 points in the first quarter, six for six from the floor. And the 30 points he gave during that game broke him out of a skid, which has left a lot of Timberwolves fans frustrated at the start of this season. But the Cavs have typically been this year a team that comes out after halftime making big adjustments and cutting leads or deficits when they found themselves in those situations. They did it against the Boston Celtics when they found themselves down by 13 at halftime. And certainly I had hopes that that's what we would see from the Cavs against the Timberwolves. But 16 points in a quarter on perfect shooting, six for six from the floor. Carl Anthony Towns was not going to let that happen. But it wasn't him alone. To a smaller extent, Kyle Anderson in that third quarter was directly responsible for a lot of those setups to Cat. Four assists from just him alone in his seven minutes on the floor. Despite the heroics of Darius Garland and of the Cavalier bench unit that played a lot of the fourth quarter with Lopez logging some huge minutes there, it simply was too little too late. Now the inbound pass that Love threw that Gobert got a hand on and the turnover, that sealed it. And that's a disappointing way to lose any game where you see all this rallying back. But there were mistakes made by the Cavs in the first half. You can't help but think of how the half ended, where Darius Garland hit a heroic three-pointer with multiple people in front of him, and then as he ran towards the tunnel, he grabbed the ball and just kind of stuck it in the chest of Rudy Gobert, which resulted in a technical, which ended up being a couple points to the Timberwolves coming out of the half. And that, combined with four uncommon misses for Darius Garland, this is a guy who Floats around 90% from the free throw line in previous seasons and just 69% from the stripe in a game where every point mattered. So I feel less bad about the Timberwolves loss than I do the other three on the road trip. Certainly a lot of that has to do with Garland. But even if the game had ended in blowout fashion, I don't know that I would have put too much stock into it simply because we were playing with rotations that we likely will not see most of the season. I don't know how much longer we're going to be without Mitchell and Allen. I read that they didn't practice and Wade may not be back for this game. So we may be hoping for a victory where we're vastly outmanned by the Milwaukee Bucks. But still, it's encouraging to think that if if we get the type of one-two punch from Garland and Mitchell that we know they're capable of, and we've seen it, individually as they'd had to play without each other in the early parts of this season and even collectively when when we took on the Lakers it was Garland and it was Mitchell that's who were keeping the Cavs in the game in the first half and if we get a lot of that and Mobley continues to accelerate his offensive production his numbers are back in line with what he was giving us last year and certainly it's a rough matchup to have to take on Rudy and, and Cat offensively he was not where he's been in previous games against the Timberwolves but I think that's to be expected And by most measures, I think he held up reasonably well in that game against the Timberwolves. His scoring was not there, 
But still, Evan Mobley gave us 13 rebounds, five of which were offensive rebounds. So he is doing work on the glass now, and he did that against the league's leading rebounder. Now, what can we expect from the Milwaukee Bucks as we head into this matchup Wednesday? The conversation starts and ends with one guy, and that's Giannis. Giannis is right there in the mix amongst some of the best players in the league, the MVP conversation. But surprisingly, based on his own incredible standard of excellence, Giannis has actually regressed slightly from the field this year. Despite being seventh in the league in scoring, he's one of those eight 30-point-a-game scorers that I alluded to. Scoring across the league, at least on an individual basis, seems to be way up. And in a historical context, we generally don't see more than two to four 30-point scores over the course of a season. We have eight right now. And seventh on that list is Giannis, Donovan Mitchell being fourth. But Giannis is also third in rebounding and second in usage, only behind Luka. In wins, 33 points, 13 boards, six assists. In losses, in which he's only participated in two, both of which have come to the Atlanta Hawks, just 26-8-3. And in those two losses, Giannis has combined for 13 turnovers and has not made a shot from outside the arc. Now, some of the stories of the Bucks that aren't Giannis. Well, one of those would have to be Brooke Lopez, who is presently leading the league in blocks at two and a half a game. He's increased his contributions to the highest point he's seen since leaving Brooklyn, 16 points and six boards. Now, based on Fedor's tweets, it does not seem like the Cavs will have Jared Allen tomorrow night, so Lopez is a stretch big is not as problematic as it seems like it may have been. Mobley will have to stay closer to the rim, but certainly Stevens or Love will get significant minutes guarding Brooke Lopez and trying to prevent him from destroying us on the perimeter. You would have to imagine that Giannis is going to see a lot of Mobley, a lot of Levert, and perhaps even some of Stevens in trying to slow him down during this game. And it's a tall task. He is big enough to just do a lot of what we saw Cat do to Mobley in the third quarter which is bully him. We're going to have to bring doubles. We're going to have to send different guys at him to try to keep guys from getting into foul trouble. It will be a tall task to get a victory, but Mitchell may be in the lineup. While Allen was not expected to make the the trip with the team, there is a chance that Donovan Mitchell will play. Dean Wade did not even practice. Don't get your hopes up that we're going to have a full front court because it does not look like that will be the case. Now back to some bucks. Grayson Allen, Drew Holiday, They're currently second and third in the NBA in individual net rating. So all of these guys playing a big part. Bobby Portis averaging a double-double 13 and 11. This is not a team that, despite not having Middleton, can be taken lightly. They are 10 and 3 overall. They're the first-rated team offensively in the NBA. Their net rating, fourth. The Cavaliers, first! That's right, even with four losses, we're still first in net rating. Third in offense, fourth in defense. That's why I think you have to dismiss some of these losses. It's easy to get high and low on individual games, but everything we're seeing from an analytics standpoint, from a roster standpoint, from just a pure potential standpoint, screams that we will be a much better team. Now, there is one narrative I want to push back on. It's the JB can't run a rotation story that I keep seeing. Why are we only running eight guys and this should be a much deeper rotation? I disagree. We're so top-heavy, I want most of our guys on the floor 35 minutes or more who are in that starting lineup. And the rest of the minutes, yes, we've been jerking guys in and out of the rotation. More minutes one night to Okoro and less to Osman. The next night, you get more to Osman and more to Wade and none to Okoro. 
But that's the position where we have to figure out who's best with the starters and who's best coming off the bench. If ever there's a time to learn your personnel, it's in the early part of the season, and especially when we have a bit of a cushion due to a great 8-1 and start. And so I have no issue with giving everybody all kinds of different looks. I enjoyed seeing Levert alongside Stevens. I enjoyed situations where we saw Levert alongside Wade. That's what I want for all these guys. If there's one thing I think is important to be able to make an informed decision for the rotation is to take each one of these backup wings, Wade, Stevens, Okoro, Osman, and put them alongside the primary creators, Mitchell, Levert, and Garland, and see the results it produces. And there's no better way for the starters to learn what positions guys like the ball in. What are they reliable at? Then getting them significant minutes. And injuries allow us to have that luxury, but so do the wins that we stacked up early. We can afford to see what we have. And I think we learned something valuable in that Timberwolves game about what Stevens can bring to the floor alongside Darius Garland. Do we think we're going to get that from Stevens if he's constantly platooned with a unit that includes Raul Neto? That may make the argument for playing him more alongside Darius Garland. Because the types of looks that Mitchell has created, which have been great for three-point shooters, are not the type of setups that Garland excels at, which tend to be lobs to the rim, backdoor cuts. Nobody sets people up like that, like Darius Garland does. Mitchell has been a fantastic distributor so far, but I think his creation is best when setting up outside shooters. I think Wade has looked great alongside Mitchell. I think Stevens has looked great alongside Garland. I don't particularly care who starts. But I do think it's more meaningful to play eight guys where the contributors who are our secondary guys, your Stevens, your Wades, they're all getting 20 minutes or more than I do to run a 10-man rotation where nobody has a chance to get in a rhythm or get some momentum. It's a delicate balance between pulling the plug on somebody who's having a bad night and actually getting a decent sample, which you can make conclusions from. If there was ever a time that I want to give everybody a bit of leash, now is the time to do that. I don't want to be making these decisions late in the season when we've got to have continuity and chemistry going into the playoffs. Stevens excelled having an incredible distributor like Garland out there, cutting up the defense and drawing guys in to collapse and finding guys cutting through passing lanes. And had we just decided to play Okoro because Okoro was the guy who had got minutes before, we might not have ever seen that. But JB made a ballsy decision, in my opinion, to leapfrog him in the rotation and immediately drop Stevens into a high usage role. And look at the assignment he gave him. He put him on Carl Anthony Towns and Lamar Stevens held his own. JB deserves some credit for knowing personnel, if nothing else. That's why I'm super curious to see what game plan he devises to try to slow down Giannis when we're so thin in the front court. If I have any criticism of JB, it's simply that Okoro has gotten a longer leash than maybe anybody else would have. But he was drafted fifth. I understand that there's going to be some impact from the priorities of the front office. And maybe it's harder for them to say, okay, leapfrog Okoro in the rotation. But do I believe it'll happen? Probably because simply the results have been better. And there's only so long you can give a guy. Do I pin that on JB? No. I think there's pressures that exist beyond just what is apparent to all of us who are watching. They don't want a guy who's clearly damaged from a confidence standpoint to just implode. So next game up, Milwaukee 
in Milwaukee, and then it's four straight Cavalier home games and a chance to string some wins together. The Hornets, certainly a winnable game. The Heat, that'll be a battle. The Hawks, that'll be a battle. And then the Trailblazers, who are performing excellently so far this season. So that's it for today's Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate all of you who have rated the podcast, who have subscribed to the podcast, and who have told other people about the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm Bob Schmidt, and thank you for listening. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.